Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, the Tech Podcast. I'm here on behalf of Richard Jacobs this morning with a special guest, Kurt Gartner, a indie video game trailer maker. So, Kurt, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, how is the weather where you are? I saw where you were calling um, from. <laughs> yeah, we just had a massive blizzard uh, over Christmas, so we're kind of snowed in. We're waiting for the snow plows to come down the street and get us out. So. <laughs> well, all right. Well, hey, now that's a great ideal setting to play video games, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> Works in perfectly with today. So I want to get into a little bit about what it is that you do, Kurt, what drove you into this particular industry over, you know, possibly some others. Um, just give me a little bit of background on you. Who are you? Yeah, so it's a weird story. So basically, like, uh, um, I can give you a short version of it, I guess. And it's, uh, I used to work in the visual effects industry. And so I worked on about 25 different Hollywood movies, sort of like B to C grade stuff that most people probably haven't seen or got really bad, like Rotten Tomato scores. Um, but there was like a visual effects studio in Winnipeg. And I spent a good chunk of my sort of career there during my 20s. And um, that's kind of where I got like a really good skill set for just like learning how visual effects were made and in creating like interesting and engaging stuff. And I sort of worked with a bunch of other like super, super smart people there. But then as I started to get older, I kind of wanted to look for an out because the hours in the visual effects industry are really, really awful. Like you can be working like 80 to 100 hour weeks when things are really bad and you never see your friends and family. And, you know, I had a wife and I wanted, we wanted to have kids at some point. So it's kind of like that lifestyle just doesn't really suit with trying to raise children, you know? Right. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I kind of like started looking at other things to do and I met some independent video game creators in Winnipeg and we all kind of started hanging out and we created this basically this arcade cabinet that played independent video games and this was around like 2010 or so and I just started making trailers for the games that we were putting on this cabinet and we were lucky enough to get some like exclusive sort of games for it some like high profile um, game creators and they started to go viral on the internet. And so this, then I just started making more of these videos slowly but surely. And I was working another job at the same time. And after, I think it was about three or four years, it got to the point where it's like it was completely self-sustainable and I was doing far better making game trailers than just doing like, like the nonprofit job that I was doing on the side. So I kind of like flipped the switch and started doing that full time a couple years ago. And yeah, that's what I've been doing since. Is there extra stuff that you needed to learn in terms of the technology and that sort of aspect? I mean, did that scare you off at all? Um, no, I wouldn't say so at all. No, it's like I've been playing video games since I was like, you know, five or something like that. Like I grew up, I was a Nintendo kid. And so, you know, like I know all about games and I actually used to do programming back when, like in high school and a little bit of early university. But what ended up happening was I liked making the graphics for the games more than I liked programming the games. And so I just sort of went down that path rather than coding. So uh, yeah, the, the the tech and everything like that. I'm always like super interested in it and involved in it, but I just I don't deal with the nuts and bolts of it as like a game developer would. So, what would you say was the most interesting factor that sort of led you into this? Was it 
I mean, not so much the hours, but just the, the ever sort of booming technology of this industry? Yeah, well, it was a couple of things. I mean, like, I've always loved, like, indie games as just, like, a general kind of thing. Like, the big AAA games like Call of Duty and the Halos and, you know, the Grand Theft Autos never really interested me that much. But the smaller stuff really, really did. And I've always liked making videos. Like, I've been doing this since I was, you know, like, six, since I got a video camera in my hands. I've been making little home videos. And back in the day, like, in the early, like, late 90s and early 2000s, I was making BMX videos all the time. So I just, it's what I've always done. I just love making videos and making short videos specifically because they're much more manageable than trying to, like, you know, do a feature film or something like that. And trailers are just super fun because they're, it, it's a unique thing because it's like you have to distill what a game is and communicate it clearly in like a minute and a half, you know, tops. And there's a real special kind of skill that comes with involved in doing that. And I just found that really, really interesting. Like how do you get across the, the information that you need to and get across the feel of this game in such a short amount of time, whether it's a virtual reality game or not. And that's just a really neat problem. And I, I just really enjoy doing it. And it just kind of fell into it, and I love it. So <laughs> I don't know. That is, that's the story, really. So you got lucky. I like it. Yeah, I got really, really lucky. Like, I, every day, me and my wife were just say we're just so fortunate that we're in the situation we are, and I'm able to do this. I work from home in the basement. You know, oh, we have two it. kids that we can help, you know, raise while I'm here. It works so well, yeah, especially right now. And my kids, kids are young, it's right? amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm super, super lucky and fortunate. So tell me about mixed reality trailers that you shoot. Right. So what ended up happening, so, like, as I've been involved with all, like, these indie game trailers and stuff over the years, um, I knew the vibe was coming out, and I knew that some of my game developer friends were working on stuff for it. And we had been talking, you know, like, as soon as they were able to talk about the fact that they were working on the vibe, one of my friends brought me over to their house, and he showed me the prototype that they had, and they were talking, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make games or make trailers that show off what it's like to be in virtual reality because it is completely different than playing a normal game. So we were thinking about this problem, and honestly, I didn't really have a great answer at the beginning. And um, over the course of the couple months go by, we're just, you know looking at things that are happening and what you know Oculus is putting out for their promo material, what Sony is doing, and then um, my friends Colin, uh, the Northways, basically they were making a game called Fantastic Contraption. And they came up with this idea of basically, hey, what we'll do is we'll take a third Vive controller to track the position of a camera, and we'll align a real camera to the virtual camera, and then we'll just overlay this footage on top of each other. And then we'll be able to film people in virtual reality from a third-person perspective rather than a first-person, like what you would see through the head-mount display. And right. they did a quick test of this last December, about a year ago, almost to the day, really. And it was fantastic. The footage was just overlaid at 50%. They weren't using a green screen or anything like that. And it was just, the footage looked so good, even just like overlaid at 50% on top of the live action, that we were like, okay, this is it. Like, this is what we have to do. And so a couple weeks later, Colin got in touch with me. They're like, we're going to be launching in April. We want to do this well. And so then we started figuring out the process in order to how to do that. So fill me in on the, the technology behind the mixed reality. How does it actually work? Well, it's it's really quite interesting. So, like the way the Vive works is basically like there's the two base uh, base stations you know, they call the lighthouses, which sort of shoot out all the lasers into the room. And basically, if you're just a player in the room, you have the head mount display and you have their two controllers, and it tracks wherever you are in the room. And the real trick of it is, is what you're doing is you're just taking a third Vive controller, just another one of the same controllers that costs like $130 or whatever, and you basically just put it on top of a DSLR. 
And so you try to get it as close to the lens as you possibly can. And then what you do is in the game, you basically say, so rather than that third controller being like a controller to manipulate objects in the game, it is going to be a virtual camera. So it is now like a virtual camera within that 3D space in the game. And you align that camera to the same position in the same field of view and focal length and everything that the real camera is. And then basically you're shooting live action footage and you're shooting virtual footage from the same perspective. And then when you shoot that on a green screen, you can basically key the person out. So you extract the person from that footage and then you can insert them into the gameplay footage and everything lines up perfectly. And it's really quite amazing when it works. And people have taken this tech and they're sort of taking it you know, even further than what we did originally. And it's awesome because it's really the best way to show what it's like to be inside a virtual reality. You know, you can only sort of see so much from the, per per, uh, from the first person perspective, but when you're filming somebody in that environment, it gives them a better sense of how they exist and are interacting within that world. And it's just a way better way of communicating what that game or what that experience is like inside a virtual reality. So, Kurt, how is the mixed reality technology involved in the production of videos and movie releases? In uh, movie releases? Well, it's interesting because it's very, very, this is kind of like the, the neat thing about this, is like the mixed reality stuff is very similar to just traditional visual effects, and which I was involved in for like you know, almost 10 years you know, back, um, back in the day. So all the techniques and all the things that I learned basically on all those many years ago applied directly to creating these mixed reality trailers. But the thing is, is the way it's kind of backwards, right? Visual effects does it a different way. What they would do is they would shoot people on a green screen, and then you know they would go into the computer and they would build all this stuff in like big computer programs, and it would take days to render, and it would do all this, and it looks fantastic and it looks completely photoreal, you know, if they're working on a movie that's meant to look like that. But it takes so much more time. And what we're doing is we're just using the same in-engine game assets that run in real time. And we're basically able to composite it live if we really wanted to. And then you can get a result that much quicker. So it's, it's kind of like it's a little bit of a different thing than the way that movies traditionally work. Um, but what's neat about it is, well, I don't know if we want to go into this now, but there's this whole virtual filmmaking thing that they did back on Avatar, which you can kind of do now with this technology for like, you know, for like a thousandth of a cost or something like that, which is crazy. So. What were some of your, your most successful trailers or some of the favorites that you got to work on? Uh, well, lately, my favorite one is the trailer for Space Pirate Trainer. And basically what we did with that is we sort of shot an in-game avatar. And what was neat about this is, like, we didn't shoot it on green screen or anything. We just shot it in my basement, and I had a friend come over, and he played the game. And I basically filmed him with the same virtual camera for three days. And we were just recording all in-game footage. And it was really, really neat because it's like it's this guy and he's like in this super crazy like space pirate suit, you know, and he looks like this really awesome avatar. And then it's just, you know, my friend with a beard, you know, who's just playing the game. So you can be anybody, like you can act out these virtual characters in any environment. You can like, and we're just doing it in my basement, which is crazy. So we can like shoot these games and I'm just running around with this virtual camera trying to get cool camera angles you know, with him playing and shooting these robots that are coming and flying at him. And in the end, what we ended up getting is a really, really awesome trailer. It looks like we shot this like million dollar action sequence in virtual reality, but we just did it in my basement, which is really cool. How do you think that the VR technology is helping break the barrier between the viewer and a story? 
Yeah, that's something I've been talking to a lot of people about. And, you know, there's all these people that are, you know, getting dump trucks full of money, you know, dumped on them. They're like, how are we going to bring story into VR? And how we got to bring, like, traditional stories and compelling things like this into VR? And honestly, I think they're, they're never going to work. Uh, I think that VR and traditional storytelling are just incompatible in a lot of ways. Because when you're in VR, it's, it's like you're in a different world and you, you feel so physically present there that you kind of want to explore it at your pace. And you want to do your own thing in that. And when all of a sudden you get like, you know, people imposing the story upon you when you just, maybe there's like some cool rocks over there and you just want to go there, but there's this storyteller telling you, oh, we got to follow this narrative and go this way. It just, I've never, maybe someone will figure it out, but so far I've never had uh, a VR sort of storytelling experience that feels like it works. And what I think is going to work is things like Minecraft. Like everybody, like all these kids and, you know, adults alike love Minecraft because you can create your own stories. It gives you a world to exist in and it gives you a world that you can create and customize the way you want. And by doing that, you're creating your own stories. You're like, oh, you know, there's like, and even these games that are coming out, they sort of let you create your own personal stories because it's like, oh, I was shooting these space fires and I ducked and this thing happened. And then you're talking about in the first perspective, like these things happen to you rather than somebody trying to impose their own story upon you. And every time that happens, it just feels weird. So like in Minecraft, you can, you know, oh, I built this house and then the zombies came and they attacked me, but I built this thing and then I attacked them and they did this other thing. And you make your own story and that feels so much more powerful to me than someone trying to impose their own story. So I think that that's what's going to work for virtual reality going forward. But I don't know. I could be totally wrong. This stuff is so new. Maybe someone will come up with the ultimate storytelling tool, but I'm very, very skeptical and uh, I don't think that that's going to work. What are some of the biggest difficulties or challenges that you've encountered in this industry? Um, well, just adoption, I mean, is really tough right now because, I mean, the, the headsets, I mean, at least the high-end ones, like the Vive cost a lot of money. You need to have like a multi-thousand dollar computer in order to run the Vive, and the Vive is, you know, 800 bucks American or 1200 bucks Canadian. And it's, you know, it's an expensive piece of kit. And, I mean, you can get a Google Cardboard or a Google Daydream for a couple hundred bucks or whatever, but, I mean, the experience you're getting on that is pretty watered down compared to, you know, even the Oculus or the PlayStation VR gives a better experience than that. And even those two are kind of watered down compared to the Vive. Like as soon as you start walking around in like a full room scale environment, and now that there's like a wireless tether thing that you can order online too, it's like you can walk around with no wires. It feels so much more freeing and so different than all those other experiences that all that other stuff, I don't even really consider it virtual reality in a way. The Vive is really like the best as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I think experiences like that going forward are going to be what carries this. But the problem is, is adoption, right? Like, and the other thing is it's like not everybody wants to walk around with a box on their face all day. And, I mean, I completely understand that. And, I mean, 3D TV never really took on because the content wasn't there and nobody wants to wear funny-looking glasses. And I don't think people are going to want to walk around with funny-looking boxes on their face all day either. It might be <laughs> something where people drop in and drop out for small intervals. I don't know. Or maybe, like, augmented reality will do something with a nice pair of glasses. But even that, I don't know. I don't know if that will take off. I think that... There's, there's just a fundamental human weirdness about just strapping this thing to your face, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's, I can see it, uh, you know, picking up in other uh, markets like in China and in like Korea where people are already addicted to like these crazy like MMORPG games and games like, um, like Dota and whatnot. Doing virtual reality versions of these, those games will be crazy. 
because those people are looking for ways to escape for like hours and hours at a time. And this offers you a really, really good way of doing that. But I don't know if the human cost is going to kind of work with that. It's going to be interesting to see. Like, I guess time will tell, really. Where do you see VR technology headed? I mean, what do you see in 5, 10, you know, 15 years? Oh, your guess is as good as mine, really. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, obviously, you know, the tech will get smaller, cheaper, lighter, faster, and the resolution will get better, and, you know, wireless, you know, head mount displays will be that much better. And, I mean, like, phone displays will get better, and then the cheaper headsets like the Google Cardboard will get better. I think it's just like the iPhone. Everything's going to kind of get incrementally better. I think the big question mark is just whether, you know, big companies are going to be still dumping, like, millions and billions of dollars into this without seeing a lot of revenue, you know, for how many years and at what point might they give up if it doesn't catch on in a, in a decent way. So who knows? But, like, you know, I, I do see, like, many, you know, awesome applications for this. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever played with Google Earth VR or anything like that, but Google Earth VR is basically Google Earth, which you can, you know, just see on the web. Mm-hmm. But it's all in 3D and all in virtual reality. And, I mean, that sounds like, oh, that's kind of neat. But when you actually experience it, it's mind-blowing. Like, you can go into downtown Manhattan and just go right down onto the street in the middle of New York and look up and see all those skyscrapers towering above you and get a perfect sense for what that actually feels like. Like, the scale is 100% accurate. And that feeling is amazing. Like, the first thing I did is, yeah, it's really crazy. Like, the first thing I did when I got to Google VR is I went to, like, Portage in Maine, which is, like, right downtown in Winnipeg, where I live, and I've been there a million times. I know exactly what those buildings feel like. I know what it's like to be there. And even though the textures are low resolution, the buildings aren't perfect, you know, the geometry is kind of janky in some places, but that sense of being there is there. Like, it's enough to get across the sense of what that feels like in that location. And that is nuts. And so I think about, like, all these kids that are in, like, small towns or in, like, in the, especially in Canada and northern Canada where there's, like, reserves and stuff where people will basically never leave these small places. Mm-hmm. If they could have one of these things and experience this, it'll give them, like, such an understanding of what the world is like, which is completely different from seeing it on your phone or reading about it in a textbook. And right. the other example I always like to give people is there's this other thing called like destinations inside of the Vive, and basically it allows you to go to different places. But there's one in particular, it's on Mars, and I've read all about the Mars rover. I've you know, known about it since it landed. It's like the size of like an SUV or whatever. You know, like, oh, it's like this huge thing. They landed, and it's this miracle that it even happened, and blah, blah, blah. And it has stereo cameras on it, and so everywhere, everywhere it's been going, it's been kind of stereo mapping this. And basically what they've done is they've taken all of that imagery and all that stereo mapping data and brought it into this and put the Curiosity rover like right there in front of you. So you can go to Mars and you can stand like right next to it. And as soon as I did that, I was just like, holy crap, like this thing is huge. Like you really get a sense for the scale of how big that thing is. And like, and all of a sudden that memory of just experiencing this and seeing this thing on Mars, it just solidifies that in your brain in a much more visceral way than like seeing a thousand pictures on the internet or reading about it in a book. And I think if kids could learn, you know, with this kind of technology and learn about historical events or just things they can't normally experience, like things at different scale, like learning about different physics-like experiments where you can alter gravity inside of virtual reality and see how things react. Or you can go inside the bloodstream and you can see what, like, bacteria is doing to organs or tissue or things like that. And you could experience it at that scale. 
rather than just seeing a picture of it. And that is so, like, it just, I don't know what it is, but your brain just, like, all of a sudden gets it a lot more than just reading about it. And so I really think for kids, you know, in teaching and education, it's going to be a massive tool because it gives kids and people just in general a way to interact with this stuff and learn about it in a completely different way that feels so much more natural. That's incredible. I'm just thinking, like, of all the different industries that could benefit from this, um, from travel industry to schools to things like that. What do you see as sort of the the industry out there that's going to benefit from this kind of technology the most? Yeah, it's well, I think gaming is going to be one, um, obviously, just because the stuff mm-hmm. is kind of, like, made for gaming. But honestly, like, long term, I think this is way bigger than that, right? It's just a matter of how long it's going to take to get to get there. But I think education, every library and every school should have one of these. And then at a certain point, every classroom should have at least one. And then all the students could just get the cheap version to sit at their desk. But, you know, like just learning things with it is so much better. It's just so much better. Like, it's funny because, like, my wife's a high school teacher, and they did the thing where, like, every kid gets an iPad, right? And it was a complete disaster in the school district. I mean, like, really? Were yeah, it was a total disaster. They were like, oh, the kids aren't learning. They're just distracted all the, ta- all the time. And they actually got rid of them in high schools after a couple of years because they were just like, it's not working for us. It just wasn't working. And then there was a whole bunch of other issues where, like, kids and parents were, like, you know, selling them on Kijiji and getting, like, cheap replacements <laughs> for $20 and stuff. Yeah, it was just this whole other thing. But, oh, you know, no. but I think, yeah, it was really bad. But, like, and it, it's just, that isn't, I, like it's it's sort of like that's the digital textbook, and that doesn't really get you far enough. Like it's like it's okay, okay, that's neat. I can like drag things around with my finger, but at the end of the day, it's still 2D and it's still just like an interactive piece of paper. When you're in there and you're in 3D and you're viewing this and you can walk around and you can touch things and you can manipulate stuff as you would just like any traditional thing in reality. That's way different, and it's it's a completely different thing than a, like a, learning on an iPad. And I, I just I really think education is going to be huge. Like it, if I were putting my money anywhere, I wouldn't be investing in like virtual reality education, but and games. I mean, like games obviously is going to be a couple big hits at some point. But um, yeah, I mean the the other applications are it's almost endless. Like medical image, like medical stuff, like being able to look at uh, get a 3D X-ray of a person and then look at it and manipulate it in real time in front of you and like. You know, just like you could 3D print an organ, you could, instead of doing that, you could just look at it in virtual reality and get a sense of, oh, i got to chop this thing or whatever it is, right? Um, like travel is huge. You know, you can go and visit a place basically before you even want to go there if you want. You can like stand in front of your hotel, you know, <laughs> or you could go inside your hotel room. Right. Or There's like a million different things that could be used for. So it, it'll be neat to see as time progresses how this kind of all plays out. Let's just give some final thoughts for what do you find is sort of the, the formula for creating an excellent indie game trailer? What is it that helps you connect most with your audience? Is there sort of a, a process that you immerse yourself in every time you start one of these projects? Yeah, totally. Um, as far as, yeah, just, it's, it's more like general marketing stuff. But, I mean, it, it's, it, there's kind of three sort of rules that I kind of adhere to. And the first one, it, just, it has to be entertaining. No one's going to watch something that's boring, right? And especially if it's boring, no one's going to share it. And there's, there's kind of this thing like with video games right now where if your game doesn't really market itself, 
and isn't easy to market, then your game probably isn't any good. You know, it's like you're, whatever product you're making or whatever it is, it kind of has to be able to just like, oh, okay, well, that's obviously new and interesting and different, and it's easy to show why. That, that just makes things so much easier. So we're trying to create an entertaining piece around that is like really key. And next, it's like it has to keep your attention. And I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stats about like how like people that watch videos online don't get past the first few seconds, and that's exactly true. You look at everything, and it's like after 10 seconds, the viewership drops by almost 40%. And so you need to have like a really, really, really engaging opening, just something that captures people right away so that they're not going to just close the window. Like you don't want to put 10 seconds of logos up front. Like movie trailers do that all the time, but most people are like sitting in their seats when they're watching a movie trailer in the theater anyway, so they can't move. <laughs> but I mean, online, it's a different story. You just want to get to the action right away and, and Wrap, like just wrap people in whatever world you're in. And the last thing is kind of like you need to create like a little mini story over that minute and a half. And you can do that in a variety of ways. Like you can use music to sign up, kind of just have like different sections that sort of illustrate different events. But you kind of try to structure it like a movie. You have like a little bit of a setup at the beginning. You have like a stuff that kind of builds to a bit of a climax. And then you have a really, really short ending. So it's like this three-act structure kind of in a minute and a half. And I, almost every single one of my trailers adhere to that in some way. So I think if you do all of those things, you're, you're going to be far ahead of the game than if you just slap a bunch of footage together with some generic music track and put some titles in there. It needs to have a little bit more oomph to it, if you know what I mean. Is there sort of a, a sweet spot in terms of the length that you find for these, the trailers, or is that the, the minute and a half is that pretty much industry standard? Um, I just, it's just my personal rule. I try to never go over a minute and a half. Um, like a minute 20 is usually the sweet spot, you know, around a minute is usually good. Like all the stuff I do is online. It's all viewed online. I mean, it's not viewed in, on TV or in theaters or anything like that. So your the attention span is very, 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 very short. And I mean, I, when Vine came out, we experimented with doing like six-second game trailers, and that actually went over really well. Like, how how can you communicate a game in six seconds? And there's this game that we did for called Ridiculous Fishing, and it went it was, it was really successful. It did really really well. We were able to communicate. It's a game about fishing and shooting. And so yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that was in six seconds. We were able to do that, but it might not work for every game. Like, I just, I try to think, like, you know, doing these grandiose, like, two or three minute trailers that try to, you know, have this deep, dark backstory and narrator over to voice and voiceover and all this stuff. It's just like, you know, that works for some stuff. But, you know, when you're just dealing with purely online content and it just get to the point, tell people what it is this thing is and get out fast and make it funny and interesting and something that hopefully people might want to share with others. And that's really the best you can do. Yeah, some of them, I mean, you see can be quite exhausting. In, and by the end of it, you're like, wow, I feel like I just watched a full feature-length movie, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. The, you always want to tease. Like, just tease it a little bit, and, like, you'll want to leave the audience wanting more. And if you don't do that, you've also failed, because then they're not going to want to look at the game or even try the game if they – you reveal too much about it, and you kind of want to just put the best. You put your best foot forward. Show everything that's new and interesting about this game or product, and just don't focus on anything else because nobody really cares. All people care about is what's new and different about it. So, yeah. Well, any final thoughts on the industry as a whole, or you know, some of your specific experiences that you'd like to share with the listeners? Geez, I don't know. That's a really open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess 
Yeah, no, yeah, I, I guess I, a couple of things I could probably touch on are like, you know, the, the indie game industry, or it just like indie games in general is part of the overall video game industry. It's been really a crazy sort of, pro, I don't know if you want to call it progress, but it's been, it, it's gone from like, you know, oh, here's two or three people making an indie game to now the norm is like, here's the team of 20 to 25 people making an indie game with a studio and an office and overhead and investment, you know, and stuff like that, where it used to be so much more loosey-goosey even just five or six years ago. And just seeing that happen, going from like these very, very small teams to much sort of bigger, like there's this new term, it's kind of like AAA indie, where it's like these teams that are making games that can compete with like the AAA stuff that's, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars but with a team of like 25 people. And I mean, there's still people that are teams of two to three to five people making indie games, but it seems like as those teams that had success, you know, a couple years ago are building, now they're actually starting to make like normal companies, you know, with staff and overhead and all the logistical nightmares that that brings. And that's kind of neat and interesting to see. And virtual reality is now going through the same sort of thing, right, where it's like these small teams of like, you know, a handful of people. But the difference here is like there's all these investors like here's $5 million, here's $10 million because these people, these investors want to like, they don't want to miss out, right? They want to like, okay, maybe this will hit, maybe this will hit. And they're just throwing all this money into these different piles, hoping that one of these will maybe hit. And I don't know if they will. I mean, like there's been two virtual reality games that have made like a million bucks. And which is, I guess, okay, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's a drop in the bucket compared to how much these things actually cost to make and the amount right. of money that investors are putting in it right now. So, I mean, there's not enough headsets to make, like, a business case, you know, that they're going to make, like, you know, 20 or 30 or hundreds of millions of dollars. That's just not going to happen in virtual reality right now. But the amount of money that's being infused into it, it is in that kind of phase. It's like, you know, these tens of millions of dollars. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this. Like, at a certain point, like, people are just going to be like, well, we're not making money with this. We can't do it anymore. Maybe we're just going to move on to something else. Or people are just going to keep driving dump trucks full of money and subsidizing this for a few more years. I really don't know. Oh. <laughs> I love your outlook on it, though. It's like, what? I made it too long. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, it's any it's anyone's guess. I mean, like, I really think that that people that are trying to predict this stuff. I mean, it's so hard to know. It's so hard to know what's going to hit. You know, with consumers, and it's so hard to know what's going to last. I mean, like, when you look at something like the i like the iPhone or like like the sorry like the iPod rather. You look at the sales for the iPod in like the first six years, and they're awful. It's like right. you know they're they're selling like a you know they're selling, but they're not at like this massive like point where everybody had an iPod. You know, like everybody remembers when everyone had an iPod, but that was like eight or six years after they were introduced, right? right. And then the the curve started to go the other direction. Then the iPhone kind of took over everything, right? So it could be the same thing with virtual reality. It might be six or seven or eight or more years until this kind of reaches a point where everyone's going to have one. And But the differences between the iPod and, like, virtual reality is, like, an iPod costs a couple hundred bucks, and this costs, you know, a couple grand, you know, to get off the ground. Right. So it's a very, very different entry point, right? And so who knows? Like, who knows what's going to happen? Um, I, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think it's just going to disappear into oblivion because – 
it's too cool and it's too interesting to go away completely. Right. Maybe it'll just be in these things or maybe it'll just be in libraries or maybe it'll just be in schools or maybe it'll just be in these places and not everybody and their dog is going to have one of these things in their basement, but you never know. Like something new might come out and that might change. It's hard to know. And I'm sure a lot of it depends on what, you never know what's around the corner of technology. Just like the iPhone, just like, you know, all of the industries, it's like, you just never know. Everything kind of right now feels like 3D printing and all those things that you talked about. It's just all up in the air. We can see what sticks, what doesn't, what works, what doesn't. (laughs) That's exactly it. And then you never know. We might just get blindsided by something completely out of left field. (laughs) And then it's like, then it will feel obvious. Like the iPhone feels obvious in retrospect, right? Right. And I'm sure whatever it is will also feel obvious in retrospect. And I don't know what like VR does right now. It's, It's, I know it's really cool. I try to get in there at least a little bit every day, but I know I don't want to spend my life inside the box. You know, it's I definitely don't want to do that. Maybe it's because I'm almost 40. I don't know, and I just have an aversion <laughs> to that. Maybe my kids will, will have a completely different opinion of that, but I, I really don't know. It's, it's hard to know. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. This was incredibly insightful, and you were absolutely charming, so I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> this is Kurt Gartner, virtual cinematographer for VR trailers. Kurt, we appreciate your time and look forward to seeing what you create next. Is there anything that's sort of on the horizon that we could look for coming from you? Uh, nothing I could probably talk about, but I've got a couple irons in the fire and we'll kind of see how they all play out. <laughs> awesome. well, good luck to you in 2017 and we'll continue to watch. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Kurt. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.